0: mm mm-hmm.
1: my best friend in the whole wide world sydney that's right man because we're two peas in a far out pod so what do you say we do what we do best and go run out of here screaming like absolute lunatics
0: (laughs) Um, i cannot wait to talk about this (laughs) about about that
1: actually might be the pinnacle of like you know, I feel like every franchise has that one moment that sums up everything perfectly. Like, sums up the yeah. whole franchise. That might be the I moment think that's for it, honestly. Scoobert do.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> Who knew that Scooby was short for Scoobert?
1: I, that's my... I'm embarrassed to admit I know all of their last names. And like, right. Yeah. Like Fred Jones, Blake Rogers, right. Dinkley. Right, <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to the Disney Desk, everyone. Carter here.
0: And I'm Sydney.
1: And now that we're out of the sentimental portion of our spooky (coughs) season, uh, the Disney 100 has come and gone. It is time to get back into what we do best. Spooky season, baby.
0: That is right. And for today's episode, we have a very special topic. Um, We are kind of veering away From Disney a little bit today, this month Um, Even though last episode I feel like we did And actually, not just last episode But I feel like in preparation for the 100 We've been like Doing light dunks on WB (laughs) Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> I, I feel like light isn't the right word for what we've been doing.
0: <laughs> like, every every chance we get to just take a dig at them, we do. Um, but here we are, talking about a Warner Brothers franchise. Today, we are covering the live-action Scooby-Doo films from the early 2000s.
1: Yes, 2002's uh, Scooby-Doo. Uh, huh, I thought it had Scooby-Doo the movie on it. Nope, just Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Um, and 2004's um, Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed which can i just say that is the most 2000s name you could have possibly come up with for that movie
0: everything about the sequel is so deeply 2000s it's it's if if the first one is everything that's great about the 2000s and like sort of a campy way i think that the second one is actually what is bad about that time period
1: we're gonna butt heads a little bit on the second one, <laughs> we but are. you're not you're not entirely wrong. Yes, it, it's a movie that feels inappropriate to not be drinking Mountain Dew during.
0: Right, exactly. Like,
1: like you're the one guy who doesn't drink the communion wine, and everyone yeah. gives you like side eye. Right. Um. But yes, it, so it's you know it's it's really funny because I, like we this idea originally started because it was the 25th anniversary of Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, the first sort of direct to video like VHS Scooby-Doo movie famously the first one that really leaned into at least in terms of like the movies like the premise was oh the monsters are real this time right um you know the occasional that one time Shaggy became a werewolf notwithstanding. Um, right and it's funny that instead of doing that we're like well wait a minute let's talk about the you know let's talk about the live action movies because admittedly they were a they pretty were yeah when they were huge they were everywhere And they were a pretty definitive part of our childhood, I feel like. I feel like this is a movie... Oh, yes. Us kids, like, I don't know. And usually we save this part for, like, when the actual episode starts. But do you want to talk about your experience with these movies?
0: Yeah, actually, I kind of (laughs) do. Before we dive into, like, our Scooby-Doo theory, um... Because like when I tell you scary. I watch this film constantly, not only did I watch this film constantly, but this was one of our like the soundtrack to this was a CD that we had in the car that was just like on rotation. This and Tarzan. Really? But like, I like um Collins. <laughs> yeah, any chance I get to bring that up. But um No, like, we used to, like, I, at least for the first one, I don't think I had the second soundtrack on, on CD, but for whatever reason, we were, like, very attached. I mean, like, I'm an only child, so, like, Mm -hmm. I got to control everything. (laughs) Yeah, you
1: had disproportionate authority compared to me. I uh, did. One of three.
0: Right. So, so, like, whatever I wanted to listen to in the car, we were listening to, and so in our, I can still see it today. You remember those old school like um, trapper keeper things that let you put yes. CDs in? Like we had like a massive one that was yeah. just for the car. It stayed in the car, and like all of our CDs were in it. And um, we would we would very frequently listen to the Scooby Doo soundtrack. I don't know why, but we but I don't know because I guess the music is kind of neutral. Like it's only a couple of the songs are kind of spooky, like Scooby themed. Um, right. But, like, I, watching this back, I really took for granted how, like, definitive this, like, how much of my own personality I kind of got from this movie.
1: Right. It, it, it like, it's weird to find, it's weird to come back, and, like, so much of this damn podcast is us just coming back to things we used to watch all the time and don't now. We're yeah. basically, you know, I, like, you know, we're basically nostalgia critics, but cool. Um, right. And not cringe- Um, right exactly but But, like watching this yeah I'm like
0: oh I became Daphne didn't I like like so much of my girl you
1: are such a Daphne
0: so much of my Barbie obsession like has been affirmed in returning to this iteration of Daphne where I was like oh right I was obsessed with this chick
1: right yeah that makes 100% sense (laughs) right and it's just even like yeah, it's weird. Like, again, it's weird coming back to these things and realizing they're Rosetta Stones for your, like, comedy. Right. Your pace, like, not just your comedy, but your, like, pacing and your sense of, like, interaction. Self, for lack yes. of a better
0: word. Right, yeah, exactly.
1: And, and it's funny because I didn't have the soundtrack, but so much of the soundtrack is, like, grafted into my head, even if I don't know the lyrics.
0: Mm-hmm. Particularly,
1: I always, for some reason, remembered the, like, weird voodoo song that they would do when they're, like, yes. summoning something.
0: uh-huh. Like,
1: we need to talk about the weird different like tones and like we flavors do. this movie has or right. the song that plays when they're like escaping from the monsters for the first time. Yes. Or like that, like, the, like yeah. Yes. Or like the 2000 butt rock song that's playing when they're like walking around I and everyone's possessed.
0: told to grow up. Yeah. Yes, the, all of That one. Simple plan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there's like four of those. Yeah. And like every single one of them, I'm like, Oh, that's just in there. That's right. just rattling around in my brain. Um, it's one of those movies for me that, like, I watched it so many times, I definitively remember, like, what the menu for the DVD looked like. Like, I yes. had images of, like, the selection screen. Yeah. And it's embarrassing that the three that that could fall under are Garfield, Scooby-Doo, and Monst- uh,
0: Masters of Disguise. Right, it's like yeah, it's, it's so funny because like I forgot how like that there was an arch to DVD production where where it was like the really good movies had like an interesting DVD menu that was like somewhat interactive or like the
1: epitome of cool.
0: Right, exactly. Like Shrek, the Shrek's films had cool.
1: Yes, they'd uh, DVD screens.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Whereas now Blu-rays have the most sterile, just like.
0: Hmm. Is Little Mermaid. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, nothing. It's
0: nothing. <laughs> it's nothing, It's um, It's
1: dead silent. <laughs> and I... The other thing I remember is how... Because I didn't... You know, because this was before... Well, one, it was, like, early internet. But it was also before, like, I was following, like, trades and stuff. I wasn't, like, keeping right. track of, like, movie announcements. Right. Whereas now I can know, like, movies that have been just gestating for, like, 10 years. Like, I didn't know they were making a sequel to this. So when we are seeing a different movie probably Shark Tale if I look at the timeline and I see it's like a trailer and it's this bit from the second movie that I love where it's Scooby and Shaggy like it's a very like cartoon bit where right. they're walking from pillar to pillar and eventually the skeleton boys show up and I'm yes. like oh fuck
0: you know right. or whatever
1: version of that I would say as a kid <laughs> and like, yeah that's how like turned up I got for those Scooby-Doo movies exactly um we have a lot to dive into this episode. Obviously. We've already started to dive in. But before we eat any more Scooby snacks or cartoonish horrific sandwiches, <laughs> it is time for another episode of Sydney and Carter's Spooky Corner. Nice.
0: Okay, welcome to the Spooky Corner. Um, first things first, we need to circle back to last week's Spooky Corner, where we challenged you all to uh, guessing what our Halloween costumes would be this year. Um, and we gave you a couple clues. We haven't even revealed to each other what our Halloween costumes actually are. So let's do that first before we dive into any more spooky topics today. Let's let's review, shall we? So, last week, I said that my that oh the the character that I was um <laughs> and when I listened back to this, I was like Sydney, like you might as well have said nothing <laughs> and um um okay. So what did I say last week? That my character was large, loud, and filled with bugs.
1: I'm. See, I feel like you're trying to make me second guess myself because famously I do that when I feel like the answer is clear. But I'm gonna say Oogie Boogie.
0: No, it's not Oogie Boogie. Damn Oogie. it! I knew it. You were trying to
1: curveball me.
0: <laughs> Did you want to gonna... take another guess? I'll give you. I'll give you a second. A second guess.
1: Oh my god. Ah, oh, shoot. Oh, banana bread. Um, you're not gonna. I I, I know you're not referencing Anastasia, right?
0: I certainly am not.
1: Okay. I appreciate you at least clearing that up. <laughs> oh, my God. What could it be? Full of bugs. Um, hmm. Huh. Oh, no. I'm spiraling. Um, the giant bird, like the fake bird from uh, Bugs Life, because it's, like, <laughs> uh-huh. a big bird that's loud, and they have bugs hiding in it to scare off the grasshoppers.
0: Um as good of a guess as that is. <laughs> no, that is not it either.
1: You know it's a good costume when you have to sweatily explain it to everyone at the party. Yes,
0: exactly. Okay, my Halloween costume is puma. Son of a f- <laughs> puma.
1: I thought I took Bugs too literally.
0: He's that's a, Okay,
1: that's actually a really good curveball. I'm impressed.
0: He's big, he's loud, and he eats a diet that is exclusively bugs.
1: That is Mr. Warthog to you.
0: That's true, that's true. Um, How did y'all yeah. do at home? Did you get that one?
1: Uh, I will say not. again... <laughs> My friends were badgering me about our costumes. Uh, No one got yours.
0: Okay, great. (laughs) Okay, so Carter, remind us um, of your clues for your costume.
1: Yes, so my clues are that I am from a 90s Disney Renaissance film. Okay. That my character has a song,
0: as in they sing
1: a song. It's not a song about them, necessarily. Okay. And that their design was inspired by drag performances.
0: See, this is also a curveball for me, because like, when you said, oh, inspired by drag, I felt like I knew exactly who that was, but I actually think who I think it is is from the 80s, not the 90s, and that's where I'm getting tripped up.
1: Well, I will say I qualified it by saying a Disney Renaissance movie. Oh. So, the whole range of the Disney Renaissance. So,
0: I'm going to go with my gut and say Ursula.
1: You are correct. Really? I didn't realize, I was like, shoot, it wasn't 1990, it was 98. Yeah, mine was the more straightforward one. Um,
0: Okay. Because, wait, wait, uh, what year was Little Mermaid again?
1: 89.
0: Oh, okay, gotcha, okay. See, because my second guess was gonna be, like, Jafar, but, um, but does, Jafar gets, like, a reprise, he doesn't really get, like, a song. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't really know if he was considered, I mean, I feel like he's ironically drag, he's not (laughs) <laughs> he's not intended yeah that's more of a coding thing <laughs> right exactly um so because i remember i was having a conversation about ursula being inspired by a certain drag performer in particular
1: mm-hmm. yeah yes. um, ursula's design was inspired by uh the stage performer known as divine who was a regular in um John Waters movies including but Mm. not limited to Roman Candles like they were in a lot of different movies Mm. Uh, Pink Flamingos is the famous one Uh, that's where most of her images come from of her with like the very exaggerated makeup the red dress and a gun nice Um, but yeah um, hope y'all took some guesses Um, we're curious to see if anyone (laughs) figured them out I I'm still so mad I got too literal with the damn of course I got too literal with the damn (laughs) clubs
0: Well, um, I, like, I did that on purpose, because I knew that, like, it would it would read as Oogie Boogie, and and you know that I'm a big Oogie Boogie fan, so. Right. It all aligned. Exactly. It, it would have made sense, but no, it was Puma. Um, okay, so much fun. I, but, like, in theory, I'm thinking, like, okay, if we were literally wearing these costumes, like, <laughs> I don't even know how I would make a, I would have to just find one. <laughs> On yeah, the you internet, just I would have
1: to do one of those like yeah, felty yeah. or like stuck. What, what is that fabric? It's like that weird know. stretchy, soft stuff they Spandex. use to make kids' costumes. Yeah,
0: I don't know. <laughs> um
1: But yes, what is our topic for this week?
0: Okay, so the actual topic for today's spooky corner. We we want to talk about like Halloween TV and movie traditions that we have watched over the year. What what are what are some things that we routinely would want to see on TV or would want to watch every year at Halloween? Now, there's one thing in particular that I really, really wanted to talk about for this this chat. And it's ABC's annual 13 Nights of Halloween Halloween. event.
1: Again, the branding for ABC... It's weird that ABC was considered this albatross around the Disney company. That it's like... Eisner bought it out of desperation to like expand and then they just got stuck with it. Where right. reality, it's like twenty-five days of Christmas and thirteen nights of Halloween are simply some of the best branding for right. any holiday themed content. Exactly. Outside of like what, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade? Exactly. In terms of just like, oh, you own a day or you own a time period.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, especially like, television. I mean, it's like I think one sort of like fed right into the other in, in terms of hype. Like when 13 nights of halloween was coming around like you knew it, it was it was like the precursor in terms of like hype and and energy that like just around the corner it would be time for 25 days of christmas and throughout november they were playing the ads and like releasing the schedule 25 for 25 days, days of,
1: Christ- of
0: christmas yeah i remember the whole um their their whole um what's it called jingle that they had for it i guess you could say um but so so this was an event, and in hindsight, like, they kind of got lazy with it. <laughs> yeah. By just pl- stretching out all of the Harry Potters yeah, over it? Yeah, like, that's, like, okay.
1: Again, it's, like, that's one of the frustrating things why Harry Potter is, like, stuck with us, because it, like, grafts over so many holidays. Yeah. It's, like, they're technically summer blockbusters, right. exactly. so they get to be in the summertime, but they also have, most of the iconic ones have Christmas scenes, and they, you know, Literally, only one of them has a Halloween scene, but they're all spooky. You know, it's all wizards and shit, so. But it's,
0: yeah. Right, so it's a Halloween movie also, yeah. But
1: (laughs) I will say I am very frustrated with how Christmas, like, Christmas stuff is happening now. Like, it started this week. That is simply Mm -hmm. too early. They are intruding on our area. I do not like seeing Disney already announce their winter food for the parks. Or, like, the Disney, it's the Disney 100. Don't also be like, here's Mickey's Jingle Jangle Jamboree that's not what it's actually called. Yes.
0: <laughs> right. Um, so you know, I could rant on and on about the event and how it's how it's sort of evolved over time. Now it's a whole 31 days and which like well, first of all, ABC Family changed to something called Freeform and it became very Gen Z centric and which it was always like youth culture, yeah. like ABC Family was kind of always steered a little bit more towards teens and like young adults. With some of their shows, but then it became thirty one nights of Halloween. So now it's the whole month, and the content is worse. Like the schedule for for not just the Halloween, but for Christmas, like the schedules have gotten worse and more repetitive. Where they pick about ten films, and they just show them. It's on repeat really wild in, how in much Miles has to
1: get out of Spider Man for some reason. Also, Bewitch the Bewitched yeah. movie. The right. Shrek. I don't know. That's.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure why we're doing this. Especially when we're connected to Disney. There's so much we could do, right? Can we not play right. Hocus Pocus a couple times? Like, we got two yeah. of them now. Um, so, anyway, we're supposed to be talking about things that we used to watch at Halloween. So, like, what was your absolute favorite thing that would come on every Halloween? So,
1: my family, to qualify, like, a lot of my watching habits were dictated by my sister because she got control of the main TV for some reason. But in terms of, like, my family... My family is super-duper into The Simpsons. Like, they've really pushed The Simpsons on us. So the Treehouse of Horror stuff was just Mm. a staple. And we had a DVD collection that was just sort of a curated collection of some of the most iconic Treehouse of Horror segments. So the famous one that's the Shining parody, the one where Homer gets sucked into, like, a Tron-esque CGI dimension, uh, the Harry Potter parody one. Like, a lot of the most iconic uh like treehouse of horror segments uh the one where the teachers eat all the kids and there's the fog that turns everyone inside out which is truly one of the most unhinged bits i've ever seen in animation (laughs) like it turns out the whole episode was a dream and it's like there's nothing to worry about sweetie except that fog that's turning people inside out oh no it's seeping in (laughs) Uh, banana bread so that was like weirdly like a core thing, even though it actually scared me. Like I was actually freaked out. Mm-hmm. Particularly because you know how The Simpsons always ends with the production logo that's yeah. like shh do 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 do
0: Gracie films or whatever they're
1: called? Yes. Um, and the fact that they would change it to a horrifying shriek always scares me. Anytime <laughs> uh-huh. someone messes with the logos, I get toes Yeah, on my you're like, I'm like
0: it feels like a creepy fourth wall thing. <laughs>
1: Right? It's like, any. I got to be on my, t- like, I got to keep my hand at my hip. Anything could be happening right, right. now. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, otherwise, in terms of, it was always Halloween Town 2 for some reason. Like, growing up, my sister was really, really into that one. That and Twitches hmm. tended to be, yes. for like most of my childhood, the two defining ones. And then otherwise, it was Goosebumps, 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 and some more Goosebumps. We would rent wow. Goosebumps VHSs. All the time, my family was so into Goosebumps, That's which interesting. is weird, right? Um, which is weird because I didn't, and we had all the books, and it's weird because I didn't know that there was a new Goosebumps show out that is this kind of like Twin oh. Peaks, Archie esque thing okay. or Riverdale. I keep calling it Archie. I mean, it is. like,
0: you know, but I know what you mean.
1: You know, grim small town drama that right. just happens to have. Yeah, happens to have the stuff from... So, like, it has the Haunted Mask, and it has Slappy, uh-huh. and it has the camera that kills you.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, you know, they figure out how to stitch it all together.
0: Right, right. That's interesting that you say Goosebumps, because... I Like, for whatever reason, I have more, like, summer memories of Goosebumps, even though... Because it, really? I associate it with, like, summer camp, but I feel like there was, like, an episode of Goosebumps that was, like, around some kind of, like, summer camp horror thing. I don't know. Like, I may be um, having some sort there of was the Werewolf effect. Fever swamp that effect. Ha- yeah, there's the Werewolf of Fever Swamp
1: that's kind of summery, and um, I, I don't remember if they made this one an actual... Ep- oh, well, there was the... There was the nightmare room that was his like adult expansion where there's one set in the summer camp where they get sucked back to indigenous times oh. and like, you know, the area is cursed or whatever. Right. Um, there's also the one that's like a summer camp and the kids convinced beyond reason there's a monster there and no one believes him. Mm. And it turns out the whole thing at the end is a test. And it's like, congratulations, you stood up to authority when it was wrong, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, cool, you're ready for your assignment. And the twist turns out is their aliens training to go to earth.
0: Ah, interesting. They're yeah,
1: th- yeah, that one was cool. Um, um, What about you? What kind of stuff okay. did you sit down and watch?
0: See, it's so interesting because mine's definitely more... Well, first of all, I always loved the Halloween versions of every TV show on Disney Channel. Like, that So Raven's mm. um, episode with the, the cows when they turn into cows. That one, again,
1: that scared the crap out of me because I'm like, are they going to be cows forever? Yeah. Even though I know it ended up being a vision. Right. Uh, the Sweet Life. Um, the yeah the the second
0: cody with like the haunted room um i just look forward to the halloween versions of like of every single show um i also just remember like i loved the bumpers that disney would make like how when they i loved when they changed all of the like their commercials and like those those bumpers that they would put like between Uh each episode into like a halloween version that would have like bats on it and like there would be like spooky music like everything was kind of you know spookified like the channel had become haunted um and i love that stuff but like there's there's a couple films in particular that i remember like all like you know annually sitting down and being excited about hocus pocus was absolutely one of them and we've talked in depth about hocus pocus at this point the other one for me was uh casper meets wendy
1: Really,
0: yeah. I but I like no joke, um, had like four three or four massive posters of Hillary Duff on my walls when I was a kid. Um, I was a big Hillary Duff fan, <laughs> and um, that's probably one of, if not her earliest work, but um, spe- like I was more attached to that one than the Christina Ritchie one, um, but. But Casper Meets Wendy was a big one. And also, yeah, I remember, like, yours seemed to be more, like, t- television-centric. I think mine was a little more movie-centric, where Casper Meets Wendy and um, Adam's Family Values. Mm. The one with, My um, family was
1: weirdly never into Adam's Family.
0: Really? Like, it, it was specifically the one with um, Joan Cusack. Like, just that yes. one. Not really the entire franchise, but just that one oh, was very yeah. camp. That and movie like, was a
1: masterpiece.
0: Yeah, that that one in particular was another, like, diva woman that I looked up to in my youth. But, um, right. even though she was a murderer. but um,
1: yeah. yeah, but she fits into the family, film. and that's the exactly. best part. It's like, right. she's explaining her evil plan, and they're just like, oh, this rules. Great, like, yeah. great job. <laughs> you really thought this through.
0: <laughs> um. So... Yeah, those are those are kind of the big ones for me. They are more um, these these films that I would see a lot. Um, I I yeah. loved and and not to mention like things like um, Halloween Town. Um, I was probably watching all the same things that your sister was into, like the Halloween yeah. Town movies. I remember like they would all
1: get pushed on demand or like whatever exactly your requisite like box was.
0: I will say, I feel like my interest in Halloween Town decreased the more sequels there were. Like, I remember being very attached to, like, the first one, and then with the second and third one, where it became more, like, lore-centric, that I sort of, like, lost, I think I kind of lost interest.
1: Yeah, that is not a franchise. Like, it seems, much like Nightmare Before Christmas, it feels like a thing that is so built for lore, because you set up this, like, world on top of a world. But, like, we're talking about Monsters, Inc. later, and I'm like... There is a finite, it's a premise that seems like it's rich for lore, but in reality has to have a very strict cutoff line for how much you explain, otherwise it just breaks everything. Right, exactly. Um, Yeah. You know, I will say, like, it's weird how much restraint, for the most part, Disney has about their, like, Disney Channel movies, and Halloween Town was not one of those sisters. Yeah. Um, The (laughs) only movie I really remember watching a lot at this time was um, The Little Vampire. For some reason, Isabel was so into that one.
0: Interesting choice. Staple. Is
1: that even a Disney movie?
0: I have no idea, actually.
1: I literally... It feels like one of those things that just apparated into existence. New Line Cinema. Um, God, I can't... It's, again, it's one of those things where I'm like, you could tell me I made this up, and I'd be like, yeah, I did.
0: <laughs> right. Um, I would also be totally remiss if I didn't mention Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, I almost let that mm. one go. Because the jury's still out on whether it's a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie, and Nonsense. to to which I answer yes, um, <laughs> yes that's correct, um, but to say you know obsession this is just a, a film that I was attached to f- from the start even though when I when I was younger I remember being genuinely kind of afraid of it like some of it is oh, yeah. actually kind of scary. Um, And, like, ever so slightly unnerving. But I think I just hadn't been exposed to, like, enough claymation.
1: To understand it, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a part of it for me. And you know what's funny? I, like, for the longest time in my life, I never watched it all the way through. My biggest experience with it was through Kingdom Hearts. That was one of, like, the iconic worlds from the first game. Yeah. And, like, on one hand, I loved it because it was one of the worlds where they give you a redesign. Mm -hmm. So, like, for a handful of worlds throughout the first... To, well, I guess three games, but like, so the idea is like when you go to area, like when you go to Atlantis, you get turned into a merman because it's like, well, we can't live down there. Right. Um, when you go to Timeless River, which is like Steamboat Willie, you become a black and white rubber hose cartoon. Um, lion King, you become a lion. And for Nightmare Before Christmas, you get these monster redesigns, which they also do for Monsters, Inc., but like different ones. Um, mm but I was also so scared because I was like, "Ah, this place is weird and dark, and yeah. I don't know where I'm going, and I keep getting jump scared."
0: Right, exactly.
1: Um, yeah, I think there's something interesting you said about the branding thing because, like, you know, com- you know, I, like obviously when you grow up, your life is very like scheduled and regimented. But at least you nominally have autonomy. Like yeah. for kids, it's like you don't have the choice not to go to school unless you're like really really sick. Right, like, it becomes untenable. So, like, you have no say in, like, the fact that your life is kind of monotonous every mm-hmm. day, like, has sort of a monotonous grind to it. So, seeing, like, a branding change like that. Yeah, seeing, like, that's a good point. Seeing, like, you know, iconography, something in your rhythm be different and exciting and colorful, mm-hmm. I think it's, like, a big deal for kids. That's why Christmas and, you know, Halloween just, like, floor every other major holiday.
0: Right. That's a really good point, actually. I never really thought about it like that. But, yeah, you're exactly right.
1: Um, Any other thoughts before we dive in?
0: I don't think so. I'm really excited to talk uh, Scooby-Doo today.
1: And now back to your regular scheduled programming. (laughs) Sydney, you said you had an interesting point you wanted to start this episode with. Would you like the
0: floor? Certainly. Thank you. Um... So, when I revisited these films this week, um, I made an attempt at writing notes because it always is easier to do these episodes when you make a couple notes, but I quickly realized that was totally pointless. Uh, these are not movies that lend themselves to note-taking, which is funny because not... they're about solving a mystery. Right, exactly. And I have found myself pretty much unable to write anything about it, and partly for that reason, but probably because I'm just so already deeply familiar with them. Um, Like, what could I write that is not already just, like, a part of my cellular makeup? I don't know. But I wrote a single note. There's, There's a single thing that I made a point to write down, and I wanted to bring it up today. It's just one singular sentence, and that sentence is, Flanderization put to good use. Yes. Now... I figured this would be a good opportunity for us to do what we love doing here, which is essentially, what are we calling this, uh, Disney Desk Film School, where we explain yes. like topics. I know that we have mentioned flanderization in passing, but I figured this would be a good opportunity to teach you guys out there who don't know um, about a new film term. Um, so I wanted to talk briefly about what flanderization is and how to recognize it in media, Um, So the term Flanderization comes from The Simpsons, which is funny because we just got finished talking a little bit about The Simpsons. Um, It's from the character Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, who is Homer's um, devout Christian next door neighbor. And if you've seen The Simpsons with, I mean, truly, if you've seen a single episode of The Simpsons, (laughs) Uh, you you probably have come into contact with Ned Flanders. He is extremely happy-go-lucky. He is always in good spirits. He seems to have a lot of energy all of the time. And most importantly, um, in just about every sentence that he says, he mentions something about the Lord or Christ or Jesus or about going to church. Is Ned a minister, or did I just make that up? No,
1: no. He... He he owns a business, uh, the Left Hand Emporium. The oh. idea is it's a small business centered around left-hand stuff.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, like, okay.
1: specifically built for left-handies. Right. Um, yes, I know. People... Well, see, that's the problem, because as discussing with... Because the idea with Flanderization, basically, is... It's the idea of, like, as a character progresses through time... Right. Like, a long-form, like, a show, a comic, a series, anything long-form. The idea is their personality traits get more... Simplified Singular. and simplified right? And, yeah, So, if
0: you go back to the beginning of The Simpsons, like, Ned Flanders was not this, you know, he was a little more well-rounded. He was actually a lot more calm. All of the characters kind of start out a little more, like, reduced versions of what they are. To a degree, yeah. Flanderization, like, happens naturally, especially in animated series where, like, as time goes on, if a show really has longevity, like the art style becomes a little more refined and so do the performances um of the actors mm. become a little bit more fine-tuned when they discover what's really funny about someone, they kind of lean into it. But sometimes, listen, Flanderization is is often brought up as like a criticism of it yes. certainly is a criticism of Ned Flanders. Um it's ten it's 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 not considered really a, a positive thing when a character gets reduced to like a single quality. Yeah, like Ned Flanders, and so, so, I brought it up today because, you know, the the nature of like recognizing Flanderization means that there is some longevity to the franchise or the characters. It's relevant here because these are characters that we are already familiar with to a degree. We're not being introduced to to the Mystery ink gang, nor does this film make any attempt to really introduce us to them to explain them at all. Yes. At all, and it. Like, because, because this has been around since the 60s, that's kind of fine. <laughs> um right. Except they, you know, I, I'm wondering here, like, okay, did the filmmakers here invent some characteristics that weren't there before? and And then flanderize them and then sort of dig their heels into? Because it's like, from the jump, we are introduced to, like, very very strong characters like when we open up to this this first Scooby-Doo film like all of these characters have a very strong sense of like what their vibe is what their deal is what's right. going on here
1: I will say like in terms of storytelling this is a very good like like you could teach us in a class in terms of like baby's first script in terms yes. of like being like you introduce your characters like flaws and their desires literally within the first In... like opening yeah <laughs> correct like like the inciting incident is us seeing the scooby gang at their like peak as it were at the most heightened version of themselves right then like the breaking point when they all break up you know, where, like, oh, they all come back together, learn how to solve their character flaws through, like, very spelled out sequences. Correct. And then it all comes together at the end where everyone does exactly what they need to do to, like, fully realize themselves. Exactly. Um, yes. Um, I actually have a point on that. Briefly, I would be remiss if I did not bring up that this film was written by James Gunn. Which um,
0: explains so much in hindsight.
1: Yes. This very much feels like a guy who, like, was working in, like, trauma films at this point and, like, was figuring out, like, how to tell mainstream stories. Um, and it's funny you bring up the flanderization thing and, like, the poking fun at it because it is, like, a lot of, like, a lot of writing about this cites that they really wanted this to be, like, the Brady Bunch movie, which was another, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, sort of adaptation of a decades-old property. really. Yeah, where the idea was, like, well, let's just make fun of the thing, but Mm -hmm. in an earnest, sincere way. Right. Um, Yeah, I will say I do... It is weird that they focus in on Daphne always getting kidnapped, whereas I'm like, okay. Admittedly, I haven't watched that much Scooby recently, but, like, was that a thing with her? I thought she was just the pretty one.
0: No. Well, it's like, see, her, her being the pretty one is, like... You know it's well, it's not that she wasn't the pretty one, but it's sort of this like kind of diva persona, and also mm. this sort of like airheadedness it's like i could I could talk i mean like do we just want to dive into character first?
1: yeah, fuck it,
0: <laughs> okay, you know let this is gonna let, let's just dive in head first, like to the deep end here because first of all, even the worst criticisms of this film have to credit it for its absolutely uncanny casting. Yes. Like, people who seem that they were born to play these roles and these roles alone. Well, I don't I, know how that. I don't know how, but again, like
1: that's what I mean with like the sincere sincere parody thing. Yes, where it's like they captured the demeanor so much, it almost feels like parody, and yet it also just functions as a straight faced version of the thing.
0: Right. So it's like to so specifically with Daphne played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, also known as Buffy, like her and freddie prince jr the most popular you know 90s heartthrob um both of them together couple still married to this day um can we
1: just pause first and just rattle off the names freddie prince jr is fred Mm -hmm. sarah michelle geller is daphne matthew lillard who at this point would have mainly been known as the scream guy right who is so iconic as this role that he voices that the character he, almost permanently now. Yeah,
0: he, he is Shaggy permanently, and every time you see Shaggy anywhere, it's Matthew Lillard.
1: With the exception of the movie Scoob, which for some reason the producers which, got obsessed with the idea of doing different voices, to the point where Scooby himself was just going to talk like a normal person no, for a while, yeah. until they realized that was stupid. Um, Linda Cardellini as Velma oh Dinkley. Oh my goodness, yeah. And then they just casually also throw in Rowan Atkinson, Miguel A. Nunez Jr., and Elsa Fisher.
0: Oh yeah. You know, for fun. Um Isla Fisher. Yeah. I which I totally like I almost don't recognize Isla Fisher anymore. Like it is like forget that that's her. Um but anyway. So like you know not to like not to go all girl boss right now but like you know this 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 these films both of them more so the second one have like a big sexism issue. Um and maybe this is more indicative of the time even though i don't want it to forgive this film for its sexism but it's like girls can only be two things you're you're either smart right. or pretty there's nothing like right. that's it well, S-
1: that's what i mean in terms of like baby's first screenplay this is right. very much a like so you want to make a pop, like a blockbuster movie in the year 2000
0: so yeah welcome and so, for hello. Me, hello. Yeah. Um and welcome to Spooky Island. I'm just thinking of like that uh fake which is so iconic. Okay, we have to talk about that later. But like oh my God, sometimes so when I look at this script, when I look at this film, I'm thinking like, okay, like okay, some of this was already there. A lot we we already know a lot about the mannerisms and the voice and like in the cadence mm-hmm. of a character like Velma. But I feel like for the development of these two characters, they're just informed by, like, what is the opposite of the other.
1: Right. So, yeah, Velma is the competent one who always has a plan, so by... But she's contract, not by, sexy you know,
0: and she's not cute and she can't talk to men at all.
1: So, as a force dyad, even though... Like, that, those second two parts are never established with Velma, like, in the cartoon. (laughs) Right. You know, partially because in the cartoon she's 15, but I digress. Right. Um, Like, the fourth dyad of that is that Velma, or by extension, Daphne needs to get captured because she has to be incompetent.
0: Right. Even though my favorite part of, of Daphne's character is that, like, she's kind of the queen of, like, what has been coined now as, like, girl math. Like if there was ever like an an origin point for like girl math, I mean, part of her joke is like confusing people by talking to them in circles by like so, so, solve, but I mean, like, is that kind of part of the sexism that girls like talk too much? But like, I don't know, maybe I'm diving a little too deeply into this, but it's like her joke is that like, yeah, she's not like she she is kind of incompetent, which is like, how can we how can we in the same film? like depict this character see like this is this is what I have a problem you can make a character anything you want right like we could uh. make a girl who is like maybe she's airheaded maybe, like okay she's pretty she's she's airheaded she's the opposite of Velma but it's not until other characters start making comments about it that I think is where it sort of crosses into something a little more toxic or like a little more problematic it's one well, thing again, for her to be presented to the audience in one way. It's another thing for other characters to actively, like, put her down or, like, to actively, like, make mention towards that. Which and, and I caught instances of that.
1: I see what you're saying. And I do think, again, it's a part of, like, the, you know, like, hey, this is a 2000 screenplay. We need the characters to explicitly state the problems of the other characters exactly. out loud so they can all grow and change. Right. It is funny. Like, I will say, I don't know. There's a lot we can talk about. One thing I will say, one thing I like about this movie is the opening. Like, it is so weird seeing how, like, for lack of a better word, unprecious is about the Scooby brand Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, and I I don't know, I keep referencing the fucking last Ghostbusters movie, the one that they were, quote-unquote, giving back to the fans by bringing the old guys back. Like, that movie is so, like, that, and, like, I would argue Force Awakens, too, but Force Awakens is actually kind of good, so, like, I'm Mm -hmm. nicer to it. But, like, these movies that are so precious about the brand, where it's, like, you know, in in Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's so much of, like, drawing out showing the ghosts and the Ghostbusters, where it's, like, oh, the Ghostbusters, those glorious heroes from a time of old. Like, you know, it it treats them like the most important thing that's ever happened. Or in, like, Star Wars, where they slow roll every reveal, every, like, cameo. Where, like, they have to have pause for applause. Whereas this, it's, like, Literally, we hear Scooby's voice during the opening title. Yeah. And then immediately go into a ska, like, reggae version yeah. of the Scooby theme. And then everyone's just there. We're just in. Yeah, like, we're literally just in the middle of a mystery. Right. Which is where, like, the flanderization and, like, the sort of, like, light parody nature of it works. It's like, oh, yeah, this is... They've been doing this for 40 years, people.
0: Right, exactly. You know, that's so interesting because, like, when I, as I was watching this, you know... Even even before watching this, I've always felt that like I'm someone that's highly critical of like remakes and reboots of things. Uh-huh. I tend to not love them, um, but I've always referenced this as being an example of of one done really really well, and I've never been able to really articulate why. And I'm kind of still not able to articulate why, except that like this to me, like I think I think a lot of reboots why I don't like them is because they I feel like they're made for the benefit of the fans who are looking for, like, iconic things to happen, just like you described, mm-hmm. a little bit of, like, oh, we're going to play the hits and everyone's going to applaud us. But this you know, this feels like a fan-made film.
1: Right. Well, yeah, it's like, the parody works because the people who made this clearly really, lo- like, you can't parody something you hate. It ends up just right. being gross and mean-spirited and broken and not good and not funny and not entertaining exactly. in a meaningful way. Whereas, like, this one, I would argue it's more of, like, an expansion. Like, the idea is yes. it's like, oh, it exists, everything already happened, and this is just the live version of this. We could have done this animated, but we decided to do it live this time. Right. And, like, again, I that preciousness, I think lack of preciousness also helps it. Because, like, again, it it just, you know, it's just so nice to see something that's, like, Like, people complain about Marvel movies being a little too glib about, like, the superhero stuff and, like, the important stuff. But I'm like, I will take that a hundred times over being like, oh, look at this one specific lightsaber. It's the most important thing that anyone's ever created in this entire universe. And, I don't know, I also think, like, with Scooby particularly, like... Scooby and, like, the Ninja Turtles and certain, like, long-form properties that have been rebooted and sort of reimagined a lot of different times, I think they just have the advantage of, like, you know, when you're a healthy adult, I suppose, right? you can kind of have that detachment of, like, hey, this might not be the best version for me, but in, like, right. five years, we are literally going to do a brand new version of this that'll probably be stuff I like, where they'll address the things I didn't like. Right. Like, again, I, I was able to enjoy Rise of the Ninja Turtles way more when I was, like, Yeah, well, they'll make another Ninja Turtles thing. There'll be a different version (laughs) that's either closer to tradition or they'll take a new angle and it'll be fine. It's the same thing with Scooby-Doo. Like, for all of the vitriol that fucking Velma got, it's like, in two years, we'll have something new, Scooby-Doo. That's nothing like this. And everything will be fine. No (laughs) one will have died. The the planets will be properly aligned. Right. I think that's just a general advantage that Scooby-Doo as a property had going into this, where it's like, Yes, this is going to be a definitive version for my generation. To the point where, again, Matthew Lillard is now just a regular part of Scooby-Doo lore.
0: I would like to spend some time talking about Matthew Lillard in particular.
1: Yes, because... because he deserves his
0: own chapter in this episode.
1: Yes. And honestly, so much of why I think, like... Look, y'all. If you thought we were going to come in with some nostalgia—I don't know why I keep bringing up nostalgia critic. If you thought we were going to come in with some, <laughs> some nostalgia critic bullshit, where we rant and rave and like flail our arms at how horrible this thing is to the Scooby-Doo franchise, uh-huh. y'all come to the wrong fucking You're place.
0: Wrong. Yeah.
1: You you best get out of these parts, partner. Right. Um, because I actually think these movies are kind of good. They rule. And. Matthew Lillard, in terms of performance and personality and how he's written, is kind of the embodiment of all the stuff that works in these movies.
0: Yes. You know, everything, any other, I I think, any other criticism of, of these films can be forgiven by what they give to Shaggy. Um... Because I think they sort of ball up most of... And the second film actually kind of more evenly divides the heart, if you will. Like, I I think Uh Fred and and Daphne... Well, no, that's, you know, the more I think about it, I'm like, okay, in the first film, Fred and Velma have, like, a heart-to-heart, you know? Like, there's a little more... Like, there's sort of, like, a very genuine kinship between the two of them. And then the second film, it's more like Fred and Fred kind of like puts down his um, toxic masculinity for just one second and he picks it back right back up. But that's OK. But like, I feel like um, it's not just that that Matthew Lillard sounds like the reincarnation of Casey Kasem. It's not that he even sort of resembles, I mean, that, that he literally resembles <laughs> Shaggy. <laughs> Yeah, uh it looks appearance. like a
1: shaggy in this universe where they've been doing this for a while,
0: right, but it's it's that like all of them, but especially him is is a very good actor and um they gave- they gave him some of the most heartfelt parts of the script in in both films when it came down to the wire, like if you ever thought i mean just in hearing your intro to this when you're like, we're gonna do what we do best by running out of here screaming. I'm like, like oh lunatics. yeah that's the heart like that's, um, the,
1: heart of this entire that's the heart
0: of this entire franchise of of these two middle characters who are the brand who, who really are the brand is I mean yeah. it's Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and yeah. like who Shaggy is just the mouthpiece more or less for Scooby-Doo right that's a little more articulate more more or less yeah but like there's a reason That's why more about. recent
1: adaptations underline that Shaggy is or Scooby is Shaggy's dog. He's not just the team's yeah, dog.
0: Right, like, exactly. Scooby and
1: Shaggy met before anyone else did.
0: Right, exactly. Um it's it is that sort of like aimlessness. And and how interesting for them to kind of like reiterate that point. It's a point that they make in both films of Shaggy and Scooby feeling either useless or actively like Detrimental to the group, mm-hmm. and reckoning with that twice in a row of like that sort of being like a, a recurring theme that we see both in the first and second movies. Um, for that to end up, I mean, what what have we what have we been talking about so much this year about like the weirdo having the problem? I mean, having the solution. I
1: I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, it's so similar to one of our favorite tropes. Right. Like, this is one of our like if me and Kevin talking about football have made the Houston Texans one of our guys. One of our guys is the weirdo who inadvertently has the solution. Saves the day, yeah. And I will say, like, it's interesting because I think the first film, and, like, I think both films have very specific strengths and very specific weaknesses. I think the first film is a better ensemble film in terms of every character has the best possible arc for them. Yes, for, like, a big question. sort of high-budget movie. And when we get to the second one, it's like, well, we have to make a sequel. But it's like, well, everyone solved their problem. So it's kind of like well, here we are again, right. except Scooby and Shaggy. Right. Because so much of their arc in the first one is an affirmation of their friendship. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, they are the heart of this team. They are the glue of this team. They're desperately trying to keep this team together. But then an unexpected third party comes in and tries to split these two up. Because that's the only way you can beat the... As right. long as Scooby and Shaggy are best friends, the Mystery Incorporated will survive. Right. If you break them up, the whole thing falls apart.
0: Then what? Yeah. And
1: then the second film builds off of that by just being like, all right, but, like, what else do you guys... Can you guys step up and, like, really save the day? Right. Not just save your friends. Right. Like, you save the day by saving your friends. What if you actually have to save the day?
0: Right, right. Um,
1: But one of my, like, hottest takes for this episode that I've been sitting on is... Well, one, I wanted to talk about how interesting, like, the era was. Because this came... So Garfield the movie... I can't, I can't believe I'm bringing up Garfield, the movie. It's so funny that they they feel, like, so of a kin. They're so unprecious. They're so goofy and, like, weirdly sincere, but also very poppy, pop culturey, where they have, like, lots of references and pop music. hmm And then we have the era after that of, like, Smurfs and Alvin the Chipmunk, where it's like, oh, we just want to tell a story with some popular comedians that happens to have this. And I'm like, God, I am so nostalgic for this first era. Right. Like, this feels so nice. But also... So, are you familiar with the movie Speed Racer at all? Have you ever seen it?
0: I actually have never seen it, no.
1: So, it came out in 2008. Kind of, like, saddled right between these two different eras. And I... It is a film that, like, film nerds like me sort of get get their jelly beans to. Okay. Like, it, like famously, it bombed at the box office. Like, you know, uh, Warner Brothers spent way too much money on it. But... It was by the Wachowski Sisters of Matrix fame. And that film, like, it is basically, hey, what if an anime was live action? Like, what if we take the same rhythms, the same, like, chaotic sense of motion and energy and comedy to the point where we're literally having, like, we're literally having, like, people appear on frame, like, fade in on frame and talking over the action? Like, it is an insane-looking movie. Like, people, like, I'm like, I don't blame people for not being ready for this, because this is, like, a sugar high Uh, Like, a lot of ways, it's a very similar film to Scott Pilgrim in terms of defining a visual language, but Scott Pilgrim was way more refined, and, you know, anime was more mainstream, so our brains could just process it. And basically, all of this is my way of saying, I think if these movies came out closer to 2008, or, like, in between Speed Racer and Scott Pilgrim, I think people would see that they're all of the same stuff. Yeah. They're all kind of like, hey, what if a cartoon was real? Mm. Like I think this movie would be even better if they leaned into the cartooniness because Matthew Lillard and Scooby are the perfect embodiment of that where it's like this is a cartoon that happens to be live action like everything from like the way they move to the way they like overact to the way Scooby's animated it's like or even just like all of the slapstick and like all of the physical comedy in this it's like this is cartoon logic we are in cartoon world
0: right right
1: and honestly i kind of wish they cranked it even more like i feel like mm. the movie needs to match matthew lillard's energy right. not him matching the movie's energy
0: right yeah really yeah that's true the other performances like i think they're they are pure velma and pure daphne and pure fred but like they do feel very grounded and human like which is separate right. from matthew lillard's performance definitely
1: Right. Like, they have their moments of cartooniness where we're leaning into, like, this is just a silly world where silly things happen all the time. I mean, I know we're bringing up Barbie too much, but even Barbie, I feel like, kind mm-hmm. of captures that energy well, where it's like, this is toys playing. Right. That just happen to be humans.
0: Like, um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in the beginning we talked about, like, our relationship to the film, but, like, do you have any, like, what are your specific memories or, like, sort of, like, your favorite moments of, of these films, seeing them, like, as a kid?
1: I mean, any scene, honestly, the scenes with, like, the scenes, um, like, particularly the scenes in the Haunted Mansion, or, like, the spooky attraction, like, that stuff, basically any time they were going through, like, I think even as a kid, my brain was like, ooh, the CGI is a little, uh, Mm
0: -hmm. mm."
1: but, like, any of the scenes that were, like, them on a chase or, like, running around or, like, ducking and dodging and weaving, because that, like, for me was, like pinnacle Scooby-Doo stuff. Right. Um, I think a part of why I really, really like the second one is because it's all of that, but with, like, the classic villains. So we have the pterodactyl ghost. We have, like, the submarine man. We have Minor 49er. So, like, seeing all of these sequences, like, they lean into the slapsticky action even more in the second one. And I think seeing those sequences with, like, the iconic villains I think really got me jazzed for that movie in particular.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah, for me, it's like, more of the character moments i mean i talked about like being obsessed with daphne but i mean like the i remember even like as a kid that when they first get back together and they're like reuniting in the airport and she's arguing mm-hmm. with the teller of like what do you mean i can't have seven carry on bags yes. and all of her luggage is the same color as her like matching outfit
1: That's again cartoon like,
0: this is a fucking cartoon this is my favorite lady yeah i was like i was like see this is the energy that i'm here for like yeah, I want her to have, like, full head-to-toe purple. She changes outfits multiple times in a day. I mean, like, she is the Barbie of this group.
1: Yeah. Like, I think, sincerely, I mean this sincerely, basically everything from the opening of the film to the airport scene, I'm like, this is solid gold yes. right now. Like, I, I know, even... Which is wild, because literally the first line of this movie is, okay, I'm definitely getting a wedgie. Um, <laughs> like, I sincerely, I could not believe how much, like, and again, maybe it's just because we've seen, like, another decade of kids' movies, but, like, to see this and just, like, so unbridledly silly and right. weirdly sincere. Yeah. And, like, even getting the parody celebrity cameo in.
0: Um, oh, right. Yeah.
1: Like, I'm like, this is killing. Like, yeah, I always like the airport scene, too, because I'm just like, oh, good, the gang's back together. We didn't have right. to sweat that too much. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, in... You mentioned something about the second one with these villains. Like, I am I'm I'm a little more critical as an adult now of the second movie, um, because for whatever like when I was rewatching this, like, as soon as I saw a stretch mystery van limo, I was like, I'm kind of out. <laughs> like, I'm, I kind of whereas want... I'm
1: like, yes, more uh, <laughs> more, like, stupid like, more stupid bullshit, more stupid bullshit.
0: Um, I actually really hate that whole scene of them, like, having their own, like, groupies that are dressed like them, or, like, or the the dudes with, like, the... Yeah, like, these color-coded, um, I'm like, this is so off-putting to me. But one of my favorite things about the second film is the same reason that I love Incredibles 2, because it's like, I love superheroes, I want to see more superheroes that are different. And it's like, I... Like, seeing them going in the museum and all these statues of these other creatures, like, that's kind of my jam. I want to see a whole... I want to see a lot of different versions of these, like... And I love the scenes where all of the creepy crawlies are, like, all together. Like, I like... Because there's... They, like, look really terrifying, actually.
1: Yeah, I think, like... Again, like, that pay Like, whoever had that idea... Like shouldn't have to worry about money again. Right. Just like, hey, what if the twist for the second one is the monsters are real and they're all the monsters we've seen before? Yeah. Because like, I think if I had to pick, like, if I had to pick one favorite scene from the entire two movies, it would probably be when they first interact with the Black Knight ghost. There's just so much. Like, I think the fight's cool. I think what I they're wanted doing, to like, talk about that. I fight. love Scooby and Shaggy's entire bit of like Scooby having no idea what a clue actually is and yeah. just grabbing stuff that he likes. Right. Um, yeah. I Like, I like, again, practical sets of these giant roly balls that are just, like, them yeah. trapped in roly-poly cages. Like, obviously, it's a lot of CGI, but they had to make the cages. They had to make this little, like, area right. where all these people are. Again, I love the cartoon logic of this, like, c- curmudgeonly old criminal having a trap yes. door. Where it's like, he'll let you out when he gets home at 6 o'clock.
0: <laughs> right, and it's like there's a Girl Scout in there. Um, I wanted to talk about the action in these movies. Specifically in the second. Mm. I mean, both films are so action packed. Like no expense was spared here uh in terms of like except on the CGI. Well, I think the CGI is is, you know, a they product of its could. time. Yeah. And and I actually think the CGI is much worse in the second one than it actually is in the first one. I think this is this is that classic like video game thing where it's like, oh the more realistic it looks, the worse it looks. And I actually Yeah think I think they got
1: well, I think they got more ambitious because it's like, okay, you have to do a tar monster, they you did, have to do a I monster who's made out of electricity. It's not like have to do I think Bone Scooby Boys. looks
0: worse in the second one. But anyway, um, I, I
1: maintain th- if they did it cel shaded, it would have looked a lot better. But I think we disagree on that. Yeah,
0: we do. Um, but like, I remember well specifically like the well, his name's the the Black Knight Ghost, right? Yes. Um I remember him being in Burger King ads. Is that weird? But like I remember, no, no, this was a
1: big play for Burger King. Yeah,
0: I remember Burger King ads with him in it, or like toys with him in it, or something like that. Um, But specifically, like Burger King ads for for this film, Um, and it's it's weird certain scenes that like I can re like I'm having memories of the commercials for them, or like what what scenes were like in the trailer, like because I'm like Mm -hmm. with the way we used to like watch TV, like things were so repetitive um, that you like knew the trailers like word for word. But um, anyway, I was talking about the Black Knight Ghost and that the the scene with him fighting Daphne as she's like running around with Velma trying to like decode this book, which is like, it's so hilarious to listen to Velma. Like, if you're actually listening to what this chick is saying.
1: I, yeah, <laughs> I was going to bring that up. And again, that's why, that's how you can tell these guys are perfect for the roles because it's like, this shit should not sing. Like, that's the <laughs> famous thing with like fucking Star Wars where it's like. Right. You know, Harrison Ford changing his lines because he's just like, this is is ridiculous. Like, you can't make this sound convincing.
0: Right, exactly. Um, But that's just, like, one of my favorite scenes. And it's like, I kind of, you know, I I feel like this talk has been sort of all over the place, but that's fine. But, like, earlier, I was like, how do we make a character like Daphne, like, how do we present her as simultaneously, like, helpless or or somehow a hazard to herself but also like have her do the most action of all the characters in the entire movie
1: again that's like the fun parody element of it that she has to do all the karate
0: right especially Um, because they make a joke like they kind of make fun of her for being like i studied taekwondo this summer like that's sort of the joke against her but then it ends up being the most useful like she's the only one that can really fight anybody
1: right like Fred, again, the whole bit with Fred is he's actually not a tough guy. No. And he's just the leader. He wears an ascot, He's just He's
0: fashionable, yeah.
1: And Scooby and Shaggy cannot win a fight unless it's cartoon shenanigans.
0: Yeah, Um, right.
1: Which I will say, and that's like a compliment to the action in this movie, where it's like, one, it captures a lot of, like, the anarchic energy of, like, we're running through doors or we're doing stupid disguises. Like, it gets, like... It's playing the hits in a way that's less obvious and more pleasant for me. Mm -hmm. And also, like, I mock the CGI, but it's like, look, it's a product of its time. They were trying to do a lot of ambitious stuff. Right. But, like, the amount of work these actors do with, like, characters who are just not there and how good it looks, even for 2000s, is genuinely impressive. Right. Like, again, like, just, even just, like, not even just Matthew Lillard with his Mm -hmm. ability to, like, act off of something that literally doesn't exist. Yeah. But like even just like the bits where they're running around and trying to dodge, like, I mean, fuck, it looks better than some stuff yeah. from like today times. I was
0: I was thinking that with the scene of Velma like chasing like running away from the skeleton guy. Like I'm like, Oh okay, yeah, she's doing nothing. Like she's she's acting with off of nothing. And There's a bit it looks where where really one of them convincing. bursts through
1: a wall. Yeah, it, or and she's like its head goes through a wall and she has to, to, to properly react to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, like, again, despite the CGI looking rough, the animation, like, again, like, just focusing on, like, how they animate Scooby and how they animate all these characters, it is genuinely spectacular work. Like, they give so much personality to all of these different critters and monsters. Like, the, I do not like, do they ever give them a name in the first movie what all of these, like, purple possession ghosts are?
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's in Velma's, um, gibberish.
1: Right, She she right.
0: calls them something.
1: Yeah, um. Actually, that brings up a random thought. So when they first show up, is the idea that, like, it's Velma at the bar reading all this. And that's when they introduce Scrappy-Doo as an idea. And I will say, also, I like the second one because it's more of a mystery. Like, when they introduce the different, like, possible culprits in the first one, you don't really buy it. Right. And then they bring up Scrappy. And it's like, I mean, obviously, it's coming back to this as a grown adult with, like, a fully developed right. brain and not who's being a diaper before. baby.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: who's seen a film before. Right. it's like, they would not have spent money... On a like a Scrappy Doo reference, unless he comes back.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I love that you're, better. You're supposed yeah. to think like, oh, it's Mr. Bean's. He's the villain, obviously.
1: On one hand, I'm like the fact that Scrappy Doo is the villain of the first ever live action Scooby Doo movie. Fucking hilarious. Take your roses, James Gunn. Perfect. Right. But like the second one's a better mystery where I'm like, oh, it could it actually would make sense it if any of is. these people were didn't.
0: Right, exactly. I think yeah, the second movie has, like, an actually shocking plot twist.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, it actually oh, has, like, a lot of plot development. Okay, in, like... yeah. And a part of that is because Seth Green inexplicably just commits. Like, right? he commits to being a tough guy for some reason. Yeah.
0: Which kind of works, like, you know, in a sort of funny way, but um.
1: Um, anyway. There's that scene where they're sitting at the bar and she's talking about Scrappy, and I think the implication is she gets sauced like the bad okay. guys are giving her drinks yes, so like they when are. the monsters come she can't That's get exactly away. That's exactly what happens.
0: Or or to get her to, I I assumed it was just to get her to keep talking about about what what she's found and like what exactly right, their right. plan is. Yeah, like I think and and I think at that point I mean we kind of already established that perhaps Mary Jane has already been things. I think this guy Dark that shot. she's been flirting with is uh, like has also at that point been turned into Possibly. a
1: you know what? what, actually, that is my favorite sequence from this entire movie. The, when we're seeing the re-education room. Yes. Like, and it's like, I they have the bit where it's like, so normal much. human conversation. Yes. It feels like it was. it's like a video made for like an Eastern European it nation is. to teach them how to be more American. Yeah. And he bumps into the guy and he goes, I will crush your bones to dust. dust! Crushed. Right, um, and
0: then the, uh, the kids just like, stop playing piano. <laughs> like, everyone's like... Yeah, just, <laughs> but wait and it's like but that
1: the, was no good the
0: positive scene is even funnier when he's like yo dog what's the scoop on the news?"
1: <laughs> and it's like i'm getting sucked into the 2000s help yeah, i don't want to like, be back here
0: and then, like I, <laughs> Cindy, love, help me. I love that scene so much
1: <laughs> yeah that like i hate to just reference bits because that's like <laughs> the nadir of podcasting but that and like basically that whole sequence to when they get to the bar And, like, the macho, like, wrestler guy, or, like, the leader of, like, the cult, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. is, he's coming down, and he's like, oh, man, he's gonna, he's gonna do something bad to get that thing back. Right. He cracks his knuckles, and then just starts playing Playing piano. Playing
0: jazz. Yeah. And everyone applauds. Yeah. Like,
1: again, everyone, this works because everyone understands the exact kind of movie it needs to be for any of this to function correctly.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, and, I mean, there's so many different angles. I also think it just understands, like, that Scooby-Doo has always had this weird sort of, like, light ska, light beach bum vibe. like Yeah,
0: let's talk I about... I think they
1: referred to Shaggy as a beatnik at one point in they the second do. one, and I'm like, that's it. Oh, that's yeah, the that's,
0: that's the best word for it. Because, like, okay, here's a couple of different things I wanted to talk about. First of all, I want to talk about drug use. <laughs> yes. Are we supposed... Like, this is something that I think has been, like... A hot topic slash totally not hot topic.
1: Post-modern take.
0: A a post-modern take is exactly the the correct term for it. Because it's like, I used to ardently reject, like, anyone that would would insinuate that, like, oh, they eat so much because they're doing drugs. Right. But this movie actually kind of leans into that idea. Like, not, it's like, I don't know, anytime, okay, so, so... So Shaggy and Scooby are, like, living on the beach in their van, and they see, like, you see smoke coming off of it, but yeah. they're just, like, cooking their breakfast.
1: Right. And even in the and second... And the bit is they're, like, we're gonna do the one thing we do best, Scoob.
0: Yeah. Right, exactly. And, like, um... What else? Oh, in the second movie, what what like I just said, when they arrive on the red carpet and they each have their, like their posse or like their groupies shaggy's groupies the they'll
1: shaggy smells them they're
0: like yeah he smells them and like you see all like they put this like smoke machine around them like they they're like actively smoking like i've always kind of like rejected that idea um but like i guess i can't really deny it how huh? they're supposed to be potheads are they supposed to be potheads
1: yes okay and it's like i don't know and, like, James Gunn claims there was a lot more of that in the his original script. Apparently they changed a lot of this on the cutting room floor uh-huh. um, and, like, during production. And, yeah, like, that's the one thing of, like, postmodern Scooby-Doo stuff I kind of roll my eyes at. Yeah. I'm like, ah, it's just too, it's just lazy. I don't like it. And yeah. And, like, yeah. And, like, look, I vaguely defend Velma as not that bad. But, like, the whole bit of Shaggy being anti-pot is just the worst. Dumb. It's, like... It's postmodern, postmodern, and it just sucks. Literally, the only funny joke is at the end of the entire series when he's talking to his therapist dad, and his dad just goes, Son, I'm considering prescribing you marijuana. And I'm like, okay, that's a little funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. it's Yeah, it's it's that bit always, um, like, tires me out in terms me of too. Scooby-Doo mythology. Yeah. Um, God, what else do we need to cover in this movie? I mean, again, I, like, it's so weird. Like, the art... Arctur- it's weird how good the art direction for these is, which I yes. know, like, I was just pooping on the CGI a lot, but, like, it's very 2000s in terms of its color palette. It's a bit grim, it's a bit grimy, and yet it works. Like, the things they design ultimately all feel like they fit in with, like, that sort of 60s beatnik vibe.
0: Like, I was, I was, I said this to you, um, that, like, th- they they somehow were able to dress all of our main characters like true to like the late 60s 70s like all of their because i'm a fashion history nerd like they're all wearing fashions from that decade and it doesn't look out of place because like they padded everything out to look so like almost like a costume of the 2000s in a good way like everybody looks really colorful looks really vibrant in every scene like, and especially when they get to Spooky Island, all of these, like, you know, island visitors that are on vacation, like, everybody looks to that. Even that one guy, like, you always see the guy with the spiked out hair. Yes. Like, they really lean into, like, the specificity of, like, the accessories and the, and the design of these costumes that, like, nothing really looks out of place ever.
1: Right. It, like, it's the challenge of doing a Scooby-Doo thing where it kind of has to fit in every single decade But, like, this one straddles the line of being so clearly dated in the 2000s, -hmm. and yet, like, the 2000s being asked to do, like, 70s teen beach energy.
0: Right, exactly. Like,
1: yeah, and it's weird how well they succeed at that. And I think it helps because it's, like, especially for the first one, having, like, sort of a rundown, rinky-dink, like, theme park.
0: Yeah. And, like,
1: tiki-themed bars and restaurants. Like, on a resort. I think that just really helps carry the logic of it through. Um, it like, and there's parts of it that work in the second one. I think it loses a little bit in the second one just because Coolsville is not very well defined as a place. Um, right. So mostly it's just that's like That's why Fred thinks it sucks. Of, yeah. He said that. He said it on, on TV. TV.
0: And yeah, the media you you never lie lies.
1: Not even a once. Right. Not even a once. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and that's why, like, I think the set pieces work better where it's like, oh, we're in a spooky manner or we're in a spooky mind shaft. Like it doesn't work when it's just a regular scene. Although their headquarters, like their original headquarters, Ooh. is calamitous, delightfully calamitous, right? What is this retro future bullshit I don't that they're know, working with? with
0: these like these circular okay, the, the circular like living room was an architectural theme in the seventies. Those were really popular to have those sunken down Why? living spaces. I don't know but like, in the seventies. They, they drank
1: a lot back then too. Like I know. all you have to do <laughs> is take one wrong step and Right. And there you go.
0: Um, so, Whoops, off to eternity. I think the last thing I wanted to talk about was the music in particular. Specific mm-hmm. well, first of all, I forgot how much I love the score of this film that is kind of modeled after the traditional scooby- dooby doo like theme. Yes. It, it has that motif in it, but it doesn't like st- it, it never strictly returns. None of the music mm-hmm. really strictly follows the original. We know we don't hear an original scooby- dooby- doo. Um, right. The way we did, but we recognize the tune and the, that like music, that melodic right. motif, and they somehow to, like you know to translate that into like an orchestral score. I forgot how well it really works. It kind of elevates it to the sort of like superhero status.
1: Yeah, and again, <clears throat> like I hate to keep hammering home like the idea of preciousness, but like if you were doing that in the modern day, you would play that theme slow and moody to create right. this like ambiance of like this is the most important thing you'll ever experience. Right. No, it's just very casual and earnest and sweet. And I think if we were going to sum up these movies in any one specific way, it would be earnestness, sweetness, and like an appreciation for the source material. Yeah. Like I feel like people inadvertently lump this in with like Smurfs and now the Chipmunks, and I'm like, no, no. The people who worked on this gave too much of a shit really about the characters in the universe. Yeah. And like, you can be annoyed that there's a lot of fart jokes. You can be annoyed. There's a lot of slime. At, like.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of, like,
1: 2000s gross-out humor. Yeah, And, like, yes, like, and I will say, when you said you didn't like the second one, I was like, heresy, nonsense. And then I saw what they (laughs) gave Velma to work with, and I'm just like, hmm. Like, yes, the female characters are a pinch underwritten, as the meme says. Yeah. Um, But, like, you can't deny that every single person who worked on this, from the production design to the music to the writing, and even, like, the editing um, gave a shit about Scooby-Doo and doing something with Scooby-Doo for, like, a 2000s audience. Right. Um, And, again, they gave us so much, like, seminal, iconic stuff in this for, like, Scooby-Doo canon in terms of, like, oh, that line I just, like I said to start this episode or the fact that Matthew Lillard is just with us now. Right. To, like, so much of, like, the weird ska voodoo energy... Like the tiki energy that like still hovers around the franchise. Yeah. Um, to the fact that it gave us the probably greatest joke in Scooby Doo history. Um, I'm looking for a Mr. Doo. Uh, you mean <laughs> Melvin Don't you Do? mean Melvin no,
0: Doo? No, 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 it's cute. I love truly, how normal it is to like have a dog in your bar and oh, it's for you, Mr. Doo.
1: Perhaps the greatest. Um, truly, perhaps the greatest um, second payoff in cinema history. Truly, yeah. The
0: Truly like, if you're teaching callback.
1: Chekhov's gun to people... Right. No, it should be called Melvin Dew's... Melvin, Deuce, Melvin Deuce. phone
0: call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Chekhov's Melvin uh, Dew.
1: <laughs> again. And also, like, in, like, I don't know, like, as we're wrapping up, I also think, like, this movie made me appreciate how much of, like, Scooby-Doo plays off, like, weirdly the 60s Batman energy. Oh, yeah, Like, how, like, madcap and, like, sort of carefree but weirdly sincere, like... Adam West knows everything he's saying is silly, but he says enough of it with enough sincerity. Like, this man is an actor.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, (laughs) And, like, again, that weird sort of, like, pro-hippie vibe. Yeah. It's one of the few things I like about the movie Scoob, um, which gets bogged down in, like, way too much lore and, like, franchise maintenance of, like, the Mm -hmm. Hanna-Barbera-verse. But there's, like, a handful of bits where it's like, hey, does that dog have a name? Uh, Yeah, it's uh, Scooby. Um, Does he have a middle name? Uh, Doobie? Last name? Do and it's like, well, I can't arrest a dog if he has a middle name. I don't like it, but those are the laws we live with. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, okay, right. someone here got it. <laughs> right. It's like that, but carried over an entire movie, and that's what these live action movies are.
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> How have we not talked about the fact that, like, I let lo- the one thing I do love in terms of the second one, in terms of, like, building Coolsville as a place, is that the idea of, like, all these villains still living in town, like, the idea oh, that it's just yeah. like, this town is oh. filled to the butt with, like,
0: like, yes. all of the
1: people the mystery gang got. And they're just expected to live here with, like, jobs and parole right. officers. Exactly. And the fact that their bar is called the Faux-Fucking-Ghost, their name yeah. of the bar is Fake Ghost. It's yes. so funny to me. And that they have, like,
0: A it's built their around faces. their mutual
1: hatred of these fucking teenagers right. exactly. who ruin who their lives.
0: Crimes. Yeah, who literally ruin
1: their lives. Yes. <laughs> yes, uh... Again, like, how has that not been in any other Scooby-Doo stuff? I don't know. Like, again, yeah. I feel like, I'm not going to say, and, like, obviously they're not, this isn't one of those things where they, like, completely run away from an adaptation. Like, you know, so much of what, like, Force Awakens was, was, like, a ideological pivot from the prequels. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that this is the case, because, again, Matthew Lillard is just here now. Right. But, like... I think it would benefit the Scooby franchise to lean into these movies a little more.
0: Yeah, I would agree, actually.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, until we are back in the Mystic Van, cracking the case of the slippery oil ghost. Okay. I'm Carter.
0: And I'm Sydney.
1: Have a magical day.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: disney desk is brought to you by carter and sydney
0: follow us on twitter at disney desk for the latest updates about the show
1: want more of the most magical podcast on earth the disney desk is now on patreon
0: for exclusive weekly bonus content from us go to patreon.com disneydesk disney desk and become a patron for as little as three dollars a month thank you
1: All right, so this one's going to need your help, but I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. Okay. Who's your best pal?
0: Um, Scooby-Doo?
1: But no, you're supposed to say Carter. Or, or, god damn it. All Um, All right. I mean... You know what? Maybe I did need to explain it.
0: Yeah, maybe you did.
1: The idea is we swap in our names, damn it. Aww.
0: Well, okay, I'm sorry. You know what? Just keep this what just just keep it.
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm this is gonna be the after credits scene.
0: Okay, fine.
1: Alright, you ready?
0: So what am I supposed to say now?
1: Who's your best pal? Carter. Who's my best pal in the whole wide world? Sydney. And I'll okay. be like, yeah, man.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> I... What was I fucking saying? God, I'm, like, losing... Hold on. Action. Jam-packed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um...